Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. As I just thought a bit about today and the fact that we were going to look at, um, at, at, at dedicating Reuben, um, it just, I guess, made me think and reminded me that there are just moments in life when it's right to pause. And actually, those aren't just the key moments. So we've already talked about those key moments in life when we might pause. Birth, marriage, death, we're forced to pause at those moments, aren't we? But actually, maybe we don't pause enough at other moments in life. And, um, and it just, I guess, made me want to challenge all of us to, to make sure that we are doing that, that we are pausing in life Every now and then, uh, there's um, a, a, a church leader who's now with the Lord who, who set out for himself 10 things that he was going to do every day. One of them was, he, he said, every day, I'm going to stop. I'm going to look up to the heavens. I'm going to remind myself that I exist on this planet in the middle of this amazing universe just floating around. I'm just going to stop every day and look up and remind myself of that. Another thing he said is, I'm going, to, one, I'm going to make sure that I look at something in creation and linger on it once every day, whether it's a person or a tree, whatever it is, I'm going to linger. I'm going to take a moment. Why? Just because those things make us feel better? No, because they point towards the creator. And, uh, and so it reminded me of that, and I, so I thought I'd just tell you about a couple of quick things that, that come to mind for me, and I'll sh- we'll bring up a picture of of one of them a couple of years ago. Now, it's not a very clear picture, but you can just see that leaf, okay? So I was staying with my parents in the... It was summer's day. I came downstairs early just to read my Bible. It was very early in the morning, and the night before, there'd been a heavy dew, and I sat down outside, and just this, there was this glint of light. And uh, I thought, where is that coming from? And these plant, this plant was covered in these dewdrops. And this leaf in particular was just glinting like little diamonds. And it was almost like a gift that God gave me that morning, just to say, you know, I've lined you up, I've lined your chair up just in the right place so that that you will pick up the glitter of that. And then I went down and looked and saw the perfection of those water droplets on the leaf and thought, you know what, If, if... if that leaf had been at a slightly different angle, can you see they wouldn't have stayed on there? They'd have just rolled off. And that wouldn't, I wouldn't have seen that glinting. Oh, God, it's like you did that just for me, to draw me into your presence this morning, to remind me of just how amazing you are. This is one leaf with a few drops of water on it. It's, it's nothing much to write home about, is it? In terms of science, I'm sure there's nothing much to say about it. But, but oh, God, it's amazing. And then last year, uh, for those of you that know about something called New Day, where we take lots of young people, and, and Owen's very involved in that. Owen is the pastor here. He's uh, preaching elsewhere today, and, uh, and I'm also involved in it. And, uh, and I, was, I was there one evening, and it was after all the kids had left. Okay, We're clearing up New Day. We've had a fantastic week, and all the kids have left. And I'm standing by the office and looking out at the tent at the big marquee where all these amazing meetings have gone on. Lots of young people encountered God. And there was just, it's not a very good picture, but there was just this picture of a moon. It was just the moon was really bright. 
over the top of the, the, big, the big tent. I just thought, oh, God, it's just amazing. You wouldn't think that that would do something particularly for me, would, would you? But actually, at that moment, God just captured me again. I said, yeah, do you know what? Daytime, nighttime. Do you know this site is empty half the year? I'm still here. My presence is here. I'm everywhere. Do you know that? And uh, it just reminded me of that, those sort of times in life. And, and to encourage us not to walk with our eyes turned down. You know, uh, Charles Dickens was not a Christian. But I think sometimes Charles Dickens just had glimpses of heaven. And he wrote this story, which some of us will know, called A Christmas Carol, you know, about Scrooge. And there's this ghost who used to be a work colleague of Scrooge's who comes back as a, after he's died to try and redeem Scrooge. And at one moment, this guy, Jacob Marley, this ghost says, why did I walk for so many years with my eyes turned down amongst my fellow beings and never lift them to the blessed star that led the wise men to a poor abode? You know, he recognises, oh, I just... I walk with my eyes down. But you know what? Actually, the Bible also says that God needs to do something if our eyes are to be opened. This is what um, C.S. Lewis says. There's a quote that um, is going to come up for us. We'll come back to that one in a minute. But this is what C.S. Lewis says, the bottom one here. He says, "Nature, actually, nature never taught me that there exists a God of glory and of infinite majesty. I had to learn that in other ways. What he's saying is that actually just nature itself didn't suddenly awaken C.S. Lewis to realise there was a God. It wasn't nature that did it. It was something else. It was the Holy Spirit who did that. But once he became a Christian, he said, but nature gave the word glory a meaning for me. Oh, okay, now I know him. Oh, now nature. And that verse that we sing when we sing that old hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, Summer and Winter, and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above, join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Today just reminded me and made me think, do you know what, I'm just going to challenge all of us not to walk around with our eyes turned down. But there will be moments tomorrow Wherever you are travelling, wherever you're going to work, even if you're just going up to the city on the tube, there will be moments for you where God has ordained for you to encounter something that will remind you of him, that will draw your gaze to him, that will gladden your heart that God is in his heaven and all's right with the world. Okay? Have your eyes open. My encouragement to you is tomorrow... Have your eyes open. Jesus had his eyes open to this sort of stuff all the time. When we read the Bible and the New Testament, Jesus talks of weather and seasons and lilies and sparrows and bread and wine. He talks about doors and keys and brides and bridegrooms and shepherds and sheep and wolves and dogs and buildings and plants and seeds and soil. He talks about fathers and he talks about sons. He constantly used story and analogy. He wasn't ethereal. Do you know, sometimes we can sort of almost think Jesus just floated and talked about ethereal things. But no, he didn't. He walked among the earth. He walked where you walk. 
And he used those things to teach. And so therefore we can expect that he still will do that today. I love it when people, when we're in a context where people will begin to to speak prophetically into someone's life. And quite often they'll say, I've just got a picture of of something. I've got a picture of of a way. I've got a picture of... Yeah, because that's how God does it. That's how God speaks to us, as well as speaking to us through his word. So, uh, so let's, be, let's be open to him speaking to us. And so I thought today that since we have paused to say thank you for Reuben and to pray for him, I thought, well, let's consider for a moment how Reuben might point us towards God. Okay? Do we have permission to do that? Well, I think we probably do. Uh, And perhaps this passage helps us. So we're going to read a bit from Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 13. And the verses are going to come up uh, at the back there for you. And this will not be a surprising text to have chosen for a dedication. Well, yes and no. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. Indignant. That's a very strong word, actually, if you look it up in uh, the Greek. It it basically means to be um, exceedingly grieved. Or in old English language, sore afflicted. It's like pain. It's It's like there was this immediate reaction of pain. What? You know, in Jesus. Ow! When the disciples are not wanting to bring little ones or allow them to come, it's like he's, 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 he doesn't just say, guys, come on. No, he's indignant at it. It's a strong, strong word in, in the Greek. And he said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms. Isn't that lovely? God of the universe, the one through whom and for whom all things were made. He took the children in his arms. He placed his hands on them and he blessed them. Now you probably think I'm going to stop there, don't you? But actually I'm going to read on. Because this is what happens next, right after this. Right after this has happened, Jesus, it says, is starting on his way. So he's done this, he's blessed the babies, and now he's starting on his way. Jesus started on his way. A man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? Why did you call me good, Jesus answered. No one's good except God alone. It's a bit of a, bit of a question there, isn't it? Well, you know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honour your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Do you know that? I, I really love that. Jesus has just demonstrated his love to little children And now he looks at this young man and he loves him too. He loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. 
And at this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked round and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. The disciples were amazed at his words. See, actually, the disciples at that point were probably thinking, you know, the rich, the wise, surely they're the very ones that Jesus has come. Surely these are the ones who are going to be instrumental in bringing about Jesus' new kingdom. It's the rich ones, it's the powerful ones, it's the influential ones, surely. And they're amazed when Jesus says, do you know what's harder for them than for anyone else? But Jesus said again, you notice this, he's been just blessing children. Now he calls his disciples children. It's interesting, isn't it? Jesus said again, children. He's taking them back. It's like he's taking them back. Children, remember what we've just done? Children. Children. How hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? And with a glint in his eye, it doesn't say that in the text, (laughs) Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. So I want to just look at a couple of characteristics of Reuben. And I want us to just see if we can read from that something around God's heart for us. And actually, the reason I've read this part of the passage too is that there is a contrast here as well. You see, so Reuben is happy to be dependent. He's uh, not been designed to go it alone. And uh, he doesn't want to go it alone, actually. Um, And there'll be times when he'll make that quite clear. There are already times when Reuben makes it quite clear that he doesn't want to go it alone. Thanks very much. Actually, Reuben is more than happy to be utterly reliant and dependent on Ruth and Josh. If Ruth and Josh said to Reuben, well, son, we, we know that independence is, you know, it's a good thing for you to just grow into independence. So what we're thinking is that you might want to do something that just, where you feel like you can just earn, earn your dinner today. Reuben's going to say, no thanks, that's fine. Actually, no, I don't really want to do that. Thanks. I'm happy being dependent on you. That's fine. I'm not interested in doing some stuff that earns your love. No, that's fine. I'm quite happy being just completely and utterly dependent on you. Thanks very much. Now, there might be a time that comes when Josh and Ruth decide that actually they are going to give Reuben some things to do. They're going to give him maybe some chores to do when he's a bit older. Not quite yet, but they might decide that they're going to do that. But my guess is that even if they do that, and even if Reuben then fails to do his chores, Reuben is not going to expect that they're going to somehow withdraw the right of, for dinner that night. Reuben is still going to expect to be fed. Even when he's not quite done what dad wanted, he's still going to expect to be fed tonight. He's happy to be dependent. He expects from his parents. He just expects it to come. If Josh and Ruth decide that they're going to give Reuben some chores, then they're 
deciding that not because they think he now needs to earn his board and keep. They're giving him some chores because they're wanting him to learn a little bit of what we do in this family. You know, we all have to play a part and to learn a little bit about taking a little bit of responsibility. They're doing that because they're training him and teaching him. It's not because they somehow think that now's the time when Reuben's got to earn his keep. You're five now. You can tidy your room. Do that, then we'll feed you tonight. They're not expecting to do that, and he's not expecting that of them. There's no expectation of that from either party. Reuben is totally happy to be completely dependent on his parents. And Jesus is saying here to us, you need to be like little children. The trouble is that independence seeps through our society entirely. I was talking to a colleague at the the university where I teach, and we were just talking about the change in our society. Whereas if you'd gone back maybe 150 years, it was much more about the common good. Okay? We were still sinners. But nevertheless, there was a sense of community. We did what was, there was a sense of common good. We did this for society. Think even back to the, to the days of the First World War, and I'm not saying whether the world war was right or wrong, and I'm not saying whether entering into warfare is right or wrong, but even go back to those days, you think about the number of young men who weren't forced to fight but, work, but went and signed up. Thousands and thousands of young men went and signed up because there was this sense of, oh, no, this is for king and country. We're in this together. But that's not what it's like now. I, I do sometimes wonder if we, were, if we were in that situation again, how many people, how many young men would choose to sign up to go to war? I do wonder whether it would be different because now it's much more about individualism. My rights, my individual rights to flourish, to, to find what Maslow, who's a psychologist, would call self-actualization. You know, in other words, I'm, I'm getting to the top of what I can be. That, that's where I'm going. That's where I'm going. Independence, my way. And it creeps in. And it creeps in because our society is just full of it. And Jesus is saying here, no, no. <laughs> If you want to get into the kingdom, it's, you've got to be utterly dependent. You've got to give up your right to independence. You've got to say no to that and you've got to become dependent on God. And that calls for a level of humility to be able to do that. But you know what? Oh my goodness me, is it releasing when we do. Because all the time that I'm trying to get to the top of my tree, particular tree, oh, the striving and the hard work and the stepping on other people so that at least I can get to the top. That the compromise that I then feel guilty about afterwards. You know, that, that, that critical conversation that I had with my boss about my colleague because I actually know that that's probably not going to do me any harm if he doesn't think that well of her. And all that compromise that I then can so easily get into because actually I'm about my own actualization, I'm about my own independence. And Jesus says, no. Dependent. Become like a little child. Become 
dependent. And you know, it is such good news for us. The thing about that rich young man, the, the reason I think Jesus pointed to the money was not so much that he was saying, okay, it's a principle here. If you want to join my kingdom, you've got to give all your money away. It wasn't that Jesus was saying that that was some sort of principle that every Christian needs to abide by. I think what Jesus was saying was, he, well, he was putting his finger on the thing that that young man had placed his dependence on. It was his ability. It's, it's interesting that that young man comes to Jesus and says, what must I do? What, 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 come on, I'm, I'm self-sufficient here. I'm rich. I've done the law bit. It's interesting, isn't it, that when Jesus says to him, well, okay, so you've got to, you've got to remember the law, you've got to make not to commit adultery, honour your parents. He says, no, I've done all that, but this young man still knows that although he's done all that, there's still something that's missing. How do, how do, I, how do I get eternal life? How do I get into the kingdom? Jesus says, well, if you, you know, what about the law? Now Jesus knows that that's not going to be sufficient. And the young man says, yeah, no, I've done all that. And Jesus says, okay, well... Well, okay, give your money away then and come follow me. What's he really saying? He's saying, okay, so transfer your dependence. Transfer your dependence from the thing that you think you've got nailed. You've got money. You've got a career. You're another, one of the other um, Gospels describes him as a rich young ruler. So he's in the ruling classes. Oh, I've got, no, I, I just, just tell, Jesus, just tell me what I need to do and I'll do it. And Jesus says, yeah, what you need to do is, is you need to learn you can't do anything. That's what you need to learn. You need to become like a child. And it's really hard. In fact, it's so hard, then Jesus says, it's like getting a camel through the eye of a needle. Do you know what? Our society is rich. Now, I know if you talk to John, who manages our food bank and... and a cap for helping people who are in debt, John will tell you that there's lots of people in our society who aren't rich. (laughs) And that's certainly true. But probably most of us, compared with the rest of the world, are rich. There won't be many people in the UK today who will die of starvation. Okay? They might die of other things, but there probably won't be that many people when the census is taken and the death certificates are all checked... There won't be many where the doctor will have written on the death certificate today, starvation. Because relatively speaking, we're rich. And for our society, it's hard. Do you you ever look at your work colleagues and think, they've just got everything. How on earth are they ever going to listen to me when I talk about the gospel? Because they've got everything. They're rich. Do you know, sometimes I think that. That's why I love that passage where Jesus loved the young man. He loved him still. And I, I at the moment, have a wonderful group of students who I teach at university. It's probably not unfair to say, I love them. (coughs) But I look at them and sometimes I'm in despair. I'm in despair not because they're not good at their studies. I'm in despair because, relatively speaking, they're rich. Relatively speaking, they're educated. 
relatively speaking, they think they've got life sussed. And sometimes I think, oh God, how on earth will you break through? But you know what? Then there's the moment. Then there's the twinkle in the eye moment. Oh yeah, what's impossible for man? Phil, you won't, you won't, do you know what? You're not going to get them there. What's impossible for man is possible for God. And that stirs me to pray, and that's what I do for them. I can't, I can't preach the gospel to them. I'll get sacked if I do that. But I can drop little bits in every now and then. So what I tell them is, so very occasionally I'll even quote scripture and I'll say, there's an ancient Hebrew writing. <laughs> I get it in there somehow. But what I actually do is I pray. Because what's impossible for me and impossible for them is possible for God. Let me encourage you, with those you work with and those you love, if you've come to a point where you're thinking, I'm in despair because they don't seem to be in need of God. They've engineered him out. This society has engineered God out of of our lives. But what's impossible for man is possible for God. Pray. Pray. Okay, so Reuben is dependent. Reuben is not afraid to learn from his primary caregivers. In other words, from Ruth and Josh. The Bible says, Teach a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's, that's probably, that's sometimes if you hear Josh's testimony, that's Josh, Josh's testimony. His mum and dad brought him up in the fear and nurture of the Lord. He's, he's, made a, he's had a couple of wobbles in the middle, but he's not departed from it. It's quite a responsibility on us as parents, isn't it? Teach a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they won't depart from it. We know what happens when parenting is lacking. Most of us will have heard and, or known the, the, the awful stories, of where, and I think and Owen, Owen and Pauline will have witnessed this when they went to Romania, of what happens when parenting is lacking and and when that regime was overturned and suddenly uh, the West was able to go in and begin to bring help. We we, we saw on our television screens, those of you who are old enough to remember, some of you won't be, but but those of you who are old enough to remember will remember the pictures of, the horrific pictures of Romanian orphanages. Yeah? And I I think Owen and Pauline, did you visit an orphanages when you were out there, Paul? Uh, Owen did. Owen did, Yeah went and visited some of these orphanages where the level of care was just, had, was just so lacking and, and there were children of three and four and five who were still in cots and their development was completely arrested and absolutely tragic. Sometimes you can win that back, sometimes you, you can't, sometimes it takes a long time. And Reuben is le- going to learn most at the moment from Ruth and Josh. She knows where to look and... Uh, and, you know, there's, um, there's studies that show that when parents are, begin to feed their children, they don't know they're doing this, but as they get the spoon and they're looking at their child, what do they do? You open your mouth, don't you? You don't even know you're doing it. What are you doing? You're, you're, you're modelling. You're modelling for the child, yeah? I've watched my brother do it. It's really funny watching, was watching him doing it when, he had, when his girls were young. I used to watch him. I wasn't watching the child, I was watching him. Oh, yeah, here the mouth goes. Up we go. Yeah, okay, there we go. 
like fish. You know. <laughs> Parents are constantly modelling, and at the moment, Reuben knows where to look to learn. He's looking at his primary, his primary caregivers, Ruth and Josh. And we have a perfect father who is our perfect caregiver. And we need to return to him regularly. You see, as Reuben gets a little bit older, he will begin to move away from Ruth and Josh a bit. He will go to nursery, probably. He'll start going to school. He will begin to come under the influence of other potential caregivers, other teachers, who may have other messages to give him. But if he has a good, solid relationship with Ruth and Josh, he'll do this sort of thing. He'll come back and say, Daddy, today they said at school, today they said at school this, this and this. Is that right? And sometimes Daddy will say, yeah, no, that's right, son. Yeah, it is. Or sometimes Daddy might say, well, as we probably look at that a little bit differently, son. If they've formed a good relationship with Reuben, Reuben's going to keep returning and asking those sort of questions. Now, we'll probably get to about 13 and 14, and Reuben will suddenly realise his parents know nothing. <laughs> okay? But that's sort of the sign of the rebellion that's our problem. Because that was exactly what Satan whispered into Eve's ear. God's just trying to restrict you. Don't go back there. You do that. You, t- you have that apple off that tree. You do that. God's only just trying to restrict you. That father of yours, he's just restricting you. Let's hope that his rebellion, that Reuben's rebellion is short, (laughs) short short-lived. But actually, do you know what? Yaz, do you still go back to your mum and dad for advice? You do? Just bought a house, haven't you? How much advice did you have from mum and dad? Lots of advice from mum and dad. Did you go and seek it out? You did, Okay. That should be encouraging for you, because even if there are some moments in his teenage years where he thinks that you know nothing, <laughs> if your relationship with, his, with him is strong, he'll come back to you. Do you know what? There's a picture there about us regularly coming back to our primary caregiver when, after we've been walking in the world. We need to do it. Do you know what tells you that you might need to do it every now and then if you become a little bit cynical? If you find yourself just agreeing with some stuff that people are saying at work about the country going to the dogs, or you just find that sort of little bit of cynicism creeping in, you find you're joining in with some of those conversations, and then you think, do you know what, I need to return to my primary caregiver. I need to go back to God again. What do I need to do? Okay, I need to remember Psalm 1. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the one who, who doesn't walk in the counts of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. What's his delight in? His delight is in the law of the Lord, in what God says. And on his law, he meditates day and night. We heard that from Emma, didn't we? He'll be like a tree planted by a stream of water that yields its fruit in season and leaf doesn't wither. All he does prospers. I need to go back there. I need to come back to my primary caregiver again. Let me encourage you to do that, particularly if you walk in the world. If you've got a job that takes you into commerce or education or anything, do you know what? There's there's another philosophy that goes on there quite often, and there's someone who's behind it. 
We know who's behind it, don't we? The enemy is quite often behind the philosophies of this world and we can get caught up in them. We can even start thinking they're a good idea. We can begin to live by them. And then we have to remember, oh no, I must go back to my primal caregiver, my primary caregiver. I go back to the word. I go back to the church. I go back to my place of safety. You see, for Reuben, Ruth and Josh, the family that they established, that is Reuben's place of safety. As he walks out into the world and gets a bit older and becomes exposed to other caregivers, actually his primary place of safety is within the family. That's where he's going to go back. That's our primary place of safety too, folks. It's the family. It's the church. It's the word. It's the Lord. That's why it's never good to turn your back on family. It's never good to turn your back on church. It's God's design to keep you safe. It's the place where you will hear what he has to say about some of the stuff that you're encountering out there. Never give up on the church. Last thing. So we've looked at Reuben a bit. I then thought, well, do you know what? Let's just look at Ruth and Josh a bit then. Let's see if there's anything we can pick up from Ruth and Josh. (laughs) This is what the Bible says. Paul says this, I bow my knees before the Father from whom all fatherhood in heaven and earth is named. In other words, when we look at parenting and fatherhood, when it's going right and going well, it points us to the one from whom all fatherhood derives its name. It points us towards him. So we can perhaps just pick up some stuff when we look at parents and about what they, what they say about God's fathering of us. When we watch loving parents in operation, it gives us an image of God's fatherhood of us. You see, what I'm guessing is that despite the sleepless nights, the massive expense the lack of personal freedom that's come in, okay? The, 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 un, the unpleasant things that come out of various orifices <laughs> at most inopportune times, that despite all of that, that despite of this child placing huge demands and restrictions on Josh and Ruth, is, is this a good contraceptive for some of you? Despite all of that, if you ask them, would you change things? Would you give him back? Are you disappointed in him? Josh, are you disappointed in him? (laughs) Right answer. No. No. I'm guessing the story is the exact opposite. Does he bring you delight? Of course he does. Of course he does. Are you thrilled to get home and see him? Of course you are. How God feels about you. You are not an inconvenience to him. He is not disappointed in you. Yes, you place all sorts of demands on him. Do you know that? Sometimes you do things which are contrary to what he wants for you. Sometimes you fail him. Sometimes... 
you are actively disobedient. Does he want to give you back? Far from it. Far from it. And we know that, don't we, from that wonderful story that Jesus tells about the prodigal son who does exactly that, who snubs his nose at his father, and the father is looking out and longing. Do you know what? If, if today you feel like I've, I'm a bit of a disappointment to God, or actually the word that I had when I was preparing was unnoticed. Now sometimes you can go through a period in life and you just think, I'm not sure whether the Lord notices me. He notices you. He notices you. And that lovely psalm that talks when I says, that says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not grow tired or weary. He watches over you. He says he watches over your coming and your going. It says that he is a shield in the daytime and the nighttime to you. There's not a moment where you're outside of his gaze. Are you a disappointment to him? No, because... He threw all his disappointment that you deserved on his son instead. Which means that there's no disappointment left for you now. Yes, I think we can learn something when we look at the fathering and the parenting of Ruth and Josh. And there's one other thing that I love when I, sometimes when I see Josh in church. So bearing in mind that Josh just has this quite quite a high-powered job, and he travels a lot all over the place, and, and we all know what he does when he cycles. He drives himself, doesn't he? And there's this strong, capable man, and every now and then you see him walking around the church with Reuben strapped to him. See that? Is that what do you call it? I don't know. What do you call that thing? A, a sling. Yeah. And he's got Reuben just strapped to him, close, close to him. He's doing his stuff. He's still walking around the church. He's talking to people and that sort of thing. But Reuben is just there. Reuben is there. I thought, oh, do you know what? That's a lovely picture of the Lord. This is what it says in Isaiah 49. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she's born? And God says, though she may forget. Is that likely that she would forget? This is a lesser to greater argument. Is it likely that a mother would forget their child? Even if she did, I will not forget you. So Isaiah 40 says this. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those who are with young. Isn't that wonderful? That's our father. That's your father. Are you a disappointment to him? Would he quite like to give you back? Has he repented of adopting you? Not for one moment. Not for one moment. How good is our God? We have tasted today and seen that the Lord is good. Okay, and this week we have an opportunity to continue to taste and see that he is good. Open your eyes. Expect him to speak to you. Don't walk around with your eyes turned down. Lift them up. 
and he will communicate with you his love and commitment to you. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you are so kind to us and so good to us. And we thank you for the pictures that we have in your creation of your majesty, your splendor, your sovereignty, your attention to detail, your deep abiding compassion for us. We thank you for the pictures of childhood that remind us how we should come and how we can expect you to respond. And I pray, Father, for all of us this week, as we walk out into the world, we will encounter you. I pray for us this week as we walk out into the world that we will remember to come back to our primary caregiver. And I pray, Father, that as we walk out into the world, we will remember that what is impossible for man is possible for God. And that when we look at those we love with despair, that we will come to you with faith and we will remind ourselves again, God is impossible for me, but it's possible for you. Will you do it? Will you open that loved one's eyes? Will you do it? Be with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.